um, as I said, one of our uh, HI coaches, Marilyn Young, uh, met you, Susie, at uh, a, an international uh, coaching conference for coaching inside organizations. Right. Do, it was I, a... do I have this story correct, Marilyn? Yes, you do. Yes, it was, yes, it was at ECO, the International Consortium for Coaching and Organizations. And so Marilyn emailed me and said, you must meet Susie and you must have her on your author, upcoming author calls. And, and so it really is a pleasure to have you and to welcome you to this call, Susie. Thank Susie, you. Susie, just uh, I had an opportunity to meet briefly with Susie at the International Coach Federation conference in St. Louis a week or two ago where Susie was signing her brand-new book, Seal the Deal. And so we talked a bit about the book, and, and I picked up one of the books and had a chance to, to look through it. And what I know <laughs> is that the topic that you are writing about, Susie, is such an important topic for anyone who is developing a coaching practice. We've been in the business of working with coaches for a long time now, and and. We often say that we, as a coaching school, are a good choice for seasoned professionals. And so the people that come through our program tend to be people who have made significant contributions in their fields. Some of them are leading organizations. Some of them have left organizations. Some of them are entrepreneuring a, a venture um, that is not going to be related to corporate work in, in any way. And, and even with all of those talents and experience, we know that it's lonely out there, that it's a steep uh, climb for a while, and having some handles on how one thinks about this makes a tremendous difference. So uh, I love the book, Seal the Deal. I, I think that it is packed, Susie, with things that are useful for for anyone who is starting out in practice. Oh, thank you. And uh, I wonder if a... A place that we might spot start is right in that sweet spot, and, and have you talk a little bit about how, how you found that sweet spot and, and what that means to, to you and to those of us that are out there doing this work. Okay, great. Thank you. And I really, first of all, just want to acknowledge Marilyn again for um, introducing me to you, Pam, and it was a pleasure to get to meet you and spend time with you in St. Louis. And it's really an honor to be on this call because I've heard so many wonderful things about the Hudson Institute for years now. Um, Dottie Perlman was a dear, dear friend of mine. Who, oh, my goodness. Those of you who know her, she passed away recently, and she was always telling me wonderful, wonderful things about the Hudson Institute. So um, that was the first place I had learned about your work. And um, so it's really, uh, you know, I, if, I, if I could dedicate this call, it would be to her. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Well, let us do that. That's a great idea. I know she's with us in spirit. Yes. And, um, and Marilyn, again, thank you for connecting us together. I really appreciate that. Uh, I, be I believe, Susie, that uh, in the uh, as classes go, do I have this right, Bill, that you were in the same CIT class as Dottie? Uh, you do, and we dedicated a song, or we sang a song, because you might be to know called There's No Business Like Coach Business that Dottie was the principal author of and she had some help. But at one of the advanced coach seminars, we dedicated that to Dottie's memory. Oh, that is great. That sounds just like her. And, Very you know, for so. those of you that knew her well, I, I don't ever, I can't see a sunflower anymore without thinking of Dottie, you know. Right. She's really, 
she was a very special person. Um, yeah, she lived right near me here. We were actually uh, not neighbors, but you know, the next town over, so we saw uh -huh. each other fairly frequently. Um, but anyway, to get to your point about the sweet spot that you mentioned, that's um, that's what I've dubbed the intersection between networking, marketing, and sales. And I, I feel the need to distinguish those terms a little bit because I constantly am running into colleagues of ours who think that um, business development is called marketing. And I want to distinguish that. I think it's important for us to be rigorous in our language because that way we can have more power over all the distinct actions and how to use them in strategic concert, which is really how you seal the deal. So business development, when I talk about business development, I'm talking about rainmaking. I'm talking about creating opportunities to create coaching opportunities for yourself, you know, to create opportunities to do the work that you love and that you're good at with the right kind of qualified candidates for clients. And qualified candidates you might define in many different ways depending on your coaching niche. Um, but typically a qualified candidate is somebody who um, believes in the value of the coaching process, someone who can afford to pay for the coaching process, someone who isn't seeking therapy and calling it coaching, you know, someone who understands that distinction. Um, so, I, so when I'm talking about rainmaking, creating coaching opportunities, I, I'm going to call that business development. And I know that a lot of our colleagues call that marketing, you know, going and getting clients. They call that marketing. But I define marketing as a much narrower subset of that. Um, marketing by itself is everything that you do in preparation for getting ready to go to market. So it's creating a corporate identity, it's having business cards, it's having a website, it's you know figuring out how you're going to put words behind what you're offering to the marketplace. Um, anything that you do that involves writing articles or speaking engagements, getting the word out there about your services, that's marketing. And that's one subset of business development. There's also networking, which is another subset of business development. And networking is anything that you do in relationship, anything that you do to create connections with people. Anytime you are connecting people with each other, um, referrals are part of networking. Anytime you're connecting people with information or people with resources or anytime you're meeting people or getting to know people or any kind of human connection, human interaction, that's networking. And then sales is, a, is an entirely different, distinct set of activities that goes along with networking and marketing. And those are specifically when you are having a meeting with a human being who is qualified to purchase your services and you ask them to purchase your services. The key part being that you ask them. <laughs> That's what makes it a sales activity. So it's when you use all three of those things, networking and marketing and sales, and use them all together, that you hit that sweet spot that Pam was referring to where you can seal the deal. So what I'd love to do is just stop with that introduction and open it up to everybody and see what, well, what you heard in that that you might want to talk more about or if there's a specific question that you might have because I want this call to be meaningful for everyone on it. And, um, and I don't have a particular agenda of what to cover, so I'm, I'd love to just answer your questions or if there's a particular challenge that you're facing with your own business development that we explore that together. That's great. Anybody have a, a comment or question based on the sweet spot? Let me ask this is Bill Lindbergh, and do you have a time horizon associated with each element sometimes? You know, 
because the sales cycle, the process of sales, just the sales piece of it without the networking and the marketing piece, right. can take anywhere from six months to two years, depending on who you are and how effectively you've lined up the networking and marketing pieces of it before you start the sales activities. So um, just networking, I'll give you an example. I work with a lot of attorneys, and attorneys are actually taught that it'll take them seven years from the time they finish law school until the time when they're actually generating revenue on their own as, a, as an attorney. And they're taught that because what they call rainmaking is um, basically networking. So seven years of just networking is about how long it would take you to get business from, you know, just networking if you weren't doing any, if you didn't have any marketing materials and if you weren't asking people to buy your services, which is the sales piece of it. Does that answer your question? It does. And there are ways to shorten that. Yes. You know, by lumping all three together. So That's exactly the point. Because if seven years, a person could get hungry in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you have an uncle that's providing food. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's just it. You know, networking by itself works great. It just takes a really long time. Marketing by itself works great. It just takes a really long time. Sales by itself works great. doesn't take quite as long, but still takes a much longer time than if you're doing all three of them at the same time and ongoingly. And, and Susie, I suspect that it's true that, that we all have our inclinations yes. and, and that most of us are not uh, adept on all in all three of these areas is that what you find yes and in, in fact what I <laughs> the biggest thing and I think the biggest reason why I wrote the book it, is because um, so much of what we do in our in coaching and consulting is that we're helping people we're in a helping profession and somehow we have mindsets about how you get the business the sales piece of it we have mindsets about that that are less than positive they're not so much about helping people um, and so what I found that the only way I could really embrace sales for me was to ha to shift my own mindset around having it be a another expression of how I help people. So when I line it up, when I line up my mindsets about sales with my mindsets about why I'm a coach, then I find that it's much easier to delve into the process than it is if I have it wired up like, you know, I'm just trying to force myself on them or I'm just trying to, you know, push them to do something they don't want to do, How, you know, all the stories we tell ourselves. Ms. Marsha Bramwick, could you tell us, just sort of go through um, a sales pitch, for example. I think you're absolutely right. I think asking for the order is very difficult. And um, are there certain ideas that you say, there are certain things that you want to uh, impart that can make the blessing? Uh, less uncomfortable with asking for the order. It's almost like I always feel like I'm asking for charity if I ever ask anybody uh, for a fee for anything that I give them. Oh, gotcha. Okay. That's a very interesting perspective. Um, feeling like you're asking for charity or asking for a handout by asking them to pay for your services. Part of the reason is, is that I'm, I'm sort, of, I'm sort of a teacher and I give a lot of what I know away for free. So it feels for me to ask for money for something that I think is uh, kind of a little bit of God's work. But I just want to know how to think about it and maybe how to say it. Yeah, it, well, okay. <laughs> That's complicated. Um, there's, it, it, it's very subtle because uh, 
part of what I say in terms of how you do the sales conversation is that the sales conversation is a conversation. It's not a pitch. I don't believe in the pitch because the pitch to me is you're throwing something at the other person. That's a pitch. Um, and and I, I don't feel comfortable doing that either. I, I don't go and do pitches. I don't come prepared with a pitch to present to people. Um, but I do come prepared with questions, much as I would prepare for a coaching conversation. And I come prepared with questions that guide the sales conversation from a coach approach, so from a questioning stance and from a helping mindset. Um, and, and pretty much that comes from just doing – getting into it the only way that I felt comfortable. You know, I love coaching. I enjoy the Socratic method involved in coaching. And why can't sales work that way, too, was my initial question to myself. And when I found that it does, and not only does it work, it works really well, it, it, it was a big veil lifted for me. And that's part of the premise of the book, too, is that it, it really is about shifting our mindsets and valuing what we have to off- offer so much so that we, we're confident that what we're offering is a valuable service. It's something that will be helpful. And, you know, even if it is God's work, God wants you to eat. <laughs> you know, there's, it, it's, it's about getting our heads in a place where it works for each of us as an individual. Where it, and I would, one, one way to do this is for everyone to kind of look for yourself about why did you become a coach in the first place? What attracted you to coaching? Um, what's meaningful to you about the coaching work that you do, and to sit in that place when you're in a sales conversation and to have it be a conversation that you design much the way you would design a coaching conversation. But the purpose of it is to find out at the end of the conversation if you two are right to work together in a coaching engagement. So it's an exploration. It's an inquiry. It's not a pitch from my perspective. A pitch is, I'm coming in, I'm giving you something, I'm throwing something at you, you either catch it or you don't. But Susie, you know, at the same time, I think you make uh, an important case for the 30-second commercial. And and while that's not uh, a, a pitch, it certainly is, it is important to have that uh, on, on the tongue, on our fingertips, yes. uh, w- wherever we are. Yes. The 30-second commercial is an introduction. And it's important to have that for the networking piece of the triangle um, because it's, it's how you open doors for yourself. It's how you open a sales meeting. It's how you open a networking conversation. It's how you open any conversation where you're meeting people for the first time. It's how you introduce yourself in any context. And would it be helpful to go through the modules of what that is? That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. Be helpful. So you're, you've probably heard about elevator speeches or 30-second commercials, and I'm not advocating something that we memorize and recite in in a robotic way, because we're not robots, we're humans. So the the approach that I take with the 30-second commercial is a modular approach, and if you can keep the modules straight in your head, or just know what your modules are, you can string them together in any way that makes sense for your purposes. So... You're going to use different modules together in different times for different reasons. You know, if you're meeting someone in an elevator as opposed to at a networking meeting as opposed to at a family brunch, you know, there are different there are different times when you use different pieces of the module. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that really the purpose of it is not to introduce yourself all the way out with the 
modules, but to basically have, have them as conversation starters so that people can engage with you at any point in the, the introduction. So the first, module, the first module is your name. And if you have a name that's hard to remember, you want to attach some kind of access hook to your name so that people can remember it. Perhaps you have a name that would be easy for someone to rhyme something with. You might think of a rhyming word that goes with your name to help people remember it. Um, uh, what I'm talking about is something along the lines of how James Bond does his name, you know, Bond, James Bond. That's memorable. You remember both the first and the last name because he repeats the last name and says it first. Um, so that's going to, that could take some work to come up with a way to remember your name. I have a, a colleague who I worked with on this exact thing, and he has two first names. His name is Mike J. So for those of you who know him, <laughs> so he says that he, he now introduces himself as Mike J, the guy with two first names, as a way to get people to remember. Um, and it's different for different people. So that's the first piece. The second piece is some credibility point about you. So it could be if you have a doctorate. It could be if you were an executive for 30 years. It could be if you've authored a book. It could be um, any kind of um, big-name clients that you might have had or, or impressive statistics of numbers of organizations you've worked with. or it, it varies depending on what your niche is. But you want some credibility points as the second module. And then the third and fourth modules I, I like to do together, which is who do you help and what do you help them to do? And the, the secret to these pieces, these modules, is that you want to be able to speak them in a way that is free of jargon, that is free of um, empty puffery. <laughs> we like to sometimes use a lot of big words about what we do, and sometimes people don't know what that means. So one of the ways that when people go through teleclasses with me to work on these 30-second commercials and all of these 10 steps and feel the deal, basically we spend a lot of time working on the 30-second commercial. And one of the practices is to practice it, once you've identified what your different modules are, practice it 15 different times, one of which involves with a child under the age of six. And if you can get a child under six to understand who you are and what you do, then you have an effective commercial. Um, and the reason for that is that if you can get it to the, to the you know, basically the least common denominator of how to speak about it in any kind of setting, then you can always add the fancy lingo if you're in a circle of peers or people who understand the jargon. Does that make sense? So, Susie, could we, could we put you on the spot and ask you to run through an example of what you might do? Yeah. For me, I always – so let me give you mine. I'm Susie Pomerantz. I'm an executive coach and an author. I've been coaching for 13 years, and I've coached in 115 organizations worldwide, including seven on the Fortune 100 list, um, six corporate law departments, and 11 law firms. Um, and what I do is I help – Leaders and organizations find clarity in chaos. So, I mean, those are some of my modules right there. So I got, I got the name out. I didn't tell you a happy little way to remember my name because I haven't quite figured one out yet, to tell you the truth. Um, the, the credibility piece is the, the numbers that I threw at you about the 115 organizations, 13 years, seven on the Fortune 100 list. And the who I help and what I help them to do is um, – I help leaders and organizations, and what I help them to do is find clarity and chaos. Great. Now, sometimes I throw other things in there, depending on who my audience is. 
for example, when I'm talking to attorneys, they like titles and pedigrees and things like that. So I often lead with my master's degree and my MCC because that's going to be meaningful to them because they like those, you know, letters after your name. Um, or particularly when I'm talking to law firms, I will lead with the corporate law departments that I've worked in because those are the clients that they want. So it's, how, it's a way of connecting with your audience is how you know which credibility points to put in. Great, great. And one of the things I like in your book is you talk about how many times you should practice this. Yeah, millions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but when you're first learning it for yourself, at least 15 times. Um, one of which, by the way, I recommend practicing it in the mirror because if you can introduce yourself effectively to yourself without laughing, then you can talk to anybody. <laughs> Easier said than done. So, Susie, I wonder if you can talk a little bit um, about the, you talk about uh, kind of barriers to this and, and the mindsets that, that we might have. And, and I'm guessing that the, for, for the extrovert, that much of what you say would be quite easy. But for people that are at the opposite end of the continuum, to be that forthcoming about what, they, what their background is and what they bring to the table is a bigger challenge. What, what do you do to, to work with people that have that, uh, that obstacle to overcome? It, it really is about finding a way to speak in your own words with your own language that makes you feel comfortable. So even the most introverted introvert is going to have things that they're proud of or passionate about that they could share in an introduction about themselves. And what I find is um, when I'm working with people who are on the introverted edge of the spectrum, it, it just takes a little bit longer to find your words and your style and your language. But then once you find it, you're as extroverted as anybody in expressing it. Um, so, the, uh, really, what the bottom line to all of this is that it, there really aren't sales tips and techniques and gimmicks, and, and um, there, there's no magic formula to this. It's about really aligning your sales conversation with who you are as a coach or as a professional or as, as a person, however you want to align it, but so that you're speaking from a place that's very authentic and real for you, and that you're... Uh, that you're using your own language, that you're not trying to take someone else's way of doing it. You know, if you were to try to, if, if you weren't comfortable with counting up how many organizations you've worked in or how many of them are on the Fortune 100 list, then you couldn't do, effectively do an introduction like I did for me because that wouldn't resonate for you. So it's about finding what does resonate for you. What's, what are your meaningful accomplishments? What are your meaningful credibility points? You know, one, uh, of, the, one of the other things that talk about that I think really uh, brings uh, brings your message home so clearly is uh, about the numbers. Can you talk a little bit about that, that there really is uh, a kind of numbers equation embedded in, uh, in making rain or, or sealing the deal? There is, and I want to preface this with a caution, um, because often when I get into the numbers, some people find it very refreshing and freeing to hear that there are numbers and it's a system that you can work the system and as long as you know the numbers you know that it's not you know it's not up to magic whether it happens or not and you can work the numbers and it's predictable and then there are there's a whole other camp of people that get very depressed 
they're big numbers and it sounds very overwhelming. So I just want to preface it with that caution because my intention is not to freak anybody out with these numbers, but to the but the former explanation, which is I would I would encourage everyone to see this as good news, what the numbers I'm about to share with you, because what it means is that if you're not getting the results that you want in business development, then there's somewhere you can look to see why. You can go back to the numbers to see why it's not where you want it to be. But these numbers are based on general research. It's going to be different for each individual, depending on your pipeline, meaning how many people you have in your network and how effectively connected you are. But the numbers are like this. Typically, to, to get, typically if you make 10 phone calls, you're going to get through to 10 phone calls of your targeted prospect list, right? You're going to get through to maybe five or six people. And of those five or six people that you get through to, you'll be able to schedule one meeting, one sales meeting. With referrals, the numbers are a little bit higher. With referrals, those same 10 calls, if, you were, if they're warm leads or, or referrals, will we'll actually, you'll get through to eight people and that'll yield more meetings, maybe three, maybe four, depending on your hit rate. But what this, so, the, so then what happens is you say, well, okay, how many meetings does it take to get a client? Well, it takes 10 meetings, typically, to get one client. So if you do the math, that basically means 100 calls to get one client. And most people go, oh my God, I'm not, there's no way I'm making 100 calls each week or each day or whatever you're advocating. And I'm not advocating any particular timeline on this. This is just for, for general numbers to look at, you know, if I'm not having as many clients as I want, then I, where I can look to see what I can do about that is I can look to see how many calls I've been making. If I've only made two calls, well, then there's my answer as to why I don't have as many clients as I want and I just know I need to get on the phone some more. It doesn't mean that I have to make 100 calls and that when I make that 100th call, I'm magically going to have a client. It doesn't, it's not that precise. But it's really sort of a, an indicator for you to look at how many, you know, have I sufficiently been dialing the phone and making the calls, or do I really need to get out there and do more sales activity? Um, so the, the hunt. The 100 calls yields 10 meetings, which essentially yields one client. Now, depending on your, your particular rate, that could be more, it could be less. But you won't know until you get out there and start making the calls. Did I freak everybody out? <laughs> everybody just hung up. Right. <laughs> oh, We're gasping. Who are you calling? <laughs> who are you calling? That's like, a really good question. Who are you calling? <laughs> yeah, who are these hundred people? Where am I going to find a hundred people to call, right? Well, yeah, that's a really good point. So, so the preface to all of this is that you, you know, there's this whole universe of potential users of your services, right? Well, you got to figure out who they are, and you got to figure out how many of them you already know, so that you're not just cold calling strangers. I don't. Personally, I'm not too comfortable with cold calling. I don't know about you. So um, this is where the networking piece comes in, right? So using the people that are already in your network, in the activities and the circles and the environments and the groups in which you're already involved, if you're getting in and meeting people in those environments and you're telling them who your targeted, your ideal target candidates are, chances are you already know people who know the people that are in your target list. So strategically making a target list of, out of the whole potential universe of users of my services, who am I likely to target based on the people that I already know? So 
So you probably have a friend, you know, let's say you want to work in law firms. You probably have a friend who's married to a lawyer, or you probably have friends who are lawyers, or you probably know people who know lawyers. You know, you start with who you know. It's much easier that way. In the book, there are some worksheets. There's a whole set of worksheets around um, targeting and strategic targeting and how to mentally run through all the different groups of people that you know and how to come up with your target list. Susie, this is Bill Lindbergh again. And one thing you're saying about this that really informs how narrow or wide a niche you select. Yes. Or how narrow or wide a niche selects you. Right. I, I didn't set out choosing practical. to work with attorneys. Right. What practical lawyers are everywhere? There are a million plus lawyers around. But if you're thinking of a smaller market, it may need to be done in conjunction with something else. Right. That's right. Like left-handed physical therapists or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you. For if to get a really narrow group like that, that'll help with your marketing. Um, but what and and what really helps is that with that is referrals too, because. You know, when you get into that group and you're targeted as that, you know, that's who you serve. I met a coach just this weekend who, who serves um, engineers and architects who are interested in making business development presentations. And I thought, well, now that's a really narrow niche. Hmm. But it's not so much narrow as it is strategically specific because there are lots of architects and engineers who need to make business development presentations. And once she gets in with that circle, they all refer her to each other. This so a Jill. really smaller market could, in fact, produce a larger number of clients, Susie. Right. That's right. Um, That's always a challenge for people. You know, I, I think that my my observation is that most of us uh, are are concerned about narrowing the focus too much. I once heard a presentation called "Specialize or Die." <laughs> that was the title okay. of it. And, and her whole premise was, if if you've exhausted your narrow, if you have a narrow target market and you've exhausted it already, in other words, if you've served everyone there is to serve in that target market, then pick a new one. Mm -hmm. But if you don't specialize, then you're casting a really wide net. You can't be everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. So you end up diluting your message and not being as not being as targetedly effective. I think I just made up a word, but. <laughs> Um, you're more effective if you're steeped in a particular culture of a niche. Um, Susie? Yeah. I understand um, when you're talking about sales as a conversation and asking questions. What I'm curious about is um, in terms of when you would present the fee, um, wondering do you, you have to have sort of an understanding of how long you're going to work together and um, so do you have a maybe a meeting first, or how, how do you orchestrate that? I generally give a range for fees. I'll tell them my hourly range or my daily rate, and then I tell them that I have to get back to them with a specific proposal once we know exactly what we're looking at. Okay. So part of what I do in the sales meeting, too, is have the client co-create the proposal with me. What are we looking to do here? What are we looking... Part of the question that you ask is around value proposition. Right. You know, you want to find out what it is they're looking to accomplish and whether or not you're really the right person to help them or whether you can refer them to someone else who could help them better. Um, I spend a lot of sales meetings trying to talk them out of using me 
because you're trying to talk them out of whether or not we really are a match because then by the end of it they're trying to convince you to start working with them because in the process of trying to talk them out of it they've convinced themselves that you're of course the one so it's it's, it's, so when I present the fee is not so much a timing. There's no, like, right time. Sometimes they ask right up front, and I'll be very direct and blunt. My, you know, this is my hourly rate. This is my daily rate. And sometimes it doesn't come up at all, in which case I'll have to say at the end, you know, you haven't asked about fees. Is there no budget for this? Are we wide open? <laughs> you know, and I'm, I tend to be playful about it because money, the money conversation is uncomfortable for a lot of people. I think when you say that, I, I, I would totally agree. I think that if they have not asked, they're wondering. Right. And I think trying to find a way to make it comfortable uh, for them to get that information. I know one statement, for example, that I often will say is, would it be helpful at this particular time for us to have a, a conversation around these? So trying to stay in that helpful mode um, and sometimes, you know, most times I should say, people will say, of course, that would be very helpful. On occasion, people will say, well, you know what, I've heard enough that I know I want to do it and fee isn't really going to enter into it. Or others will say, yes, it's very helpful. I have to, you know, consider this budget through the organization or whatever. But just saying, would it be helpful to have that conversation now? Sometimes I think puts it in a, a different uh, sort of light for them. You're still staying in that helping mode with them. That's a great point, Marilyn, and you're so much more tactful than I am about that. <laughs> That's a very delightful way to do that. I, I really like that. Yeah, and also, the person that you're talking to may not be the ultimate decision maker. So part of what you have to figure out in that conversation is who else needs to have the fees conversation. Right. You know, maybe they have other people to present it to, or maybe there's someone else that they need to bring into a meeting with you so that becomes the next step in your sales process then is who else needs to be in this conversation with us or who do you need to present this information to and how can I help you to do that others uh, it, I, I love the comment uh, Marilyn about how you you do that I wonder if anybody else on the call has a, a way of talking about that that's been successful for them I'm working in a dental practice, fees will come up a lot. And if it hasn't come up, one of the ways I'll approach it is similar to Maryland's or um, once in a while, I, one of the things I've decided is I want them to know the fee. That's part of what I'd like to know whether, and when they say no, then where do you go if they're not interested in the conversation? So, so my wording might be a little different depending on the situation would be that, you know, I'd like to take a few minutes and, and share the fee with you. And, uh, answer any questions you might have, and that's a nice, comfortable lead-in for me. And it might also be that, that, depending on the organization, they might want your fees in a specific format. They might not care if it's an hourly rate. They might want a project fee or a results-based fee or some kind of alternative fee agreement. So it's useful to approach it that way, too. Say, what's the most useful format? You know, dealing with um, when I'm dealing with executives in large corporations, sometimes they don't care what the hourly rate is. They just want to know you know, what's the bottom line of all the work that we're talking about? What's Just give me the big bottom number. Um, but when I'm talking with law firms, they think hourly, so they want to know hourly. So it, so that could be an entree into the conversation, too, which is how, how would this money conversation be best formatted for your purposes? Other questions out there for Susie? 
Susie, this is Judy here, and I just have a comment. I loved how you talked about um, when you talk about what you do, it has to resonate, you know, from you because um, I'm new to this. I've been through the the first training at Hudson, and and just in trying to write an introductory uh, package about what coaching is and what I do, I find myself grabbing hold of so much so many other words that other people have used and they just don't seem to fit yeah. and they're kind of tiring some of them because you read them and again and again people are using all the same terms and uh, you know I've struggled with this for about two weeks and what I'm deciding is that I really have to just sit back and let come out of me what who I am and what it means to me exactly and then it's what, very easy for me to talk about well do you want to play with that a little bit on this call well sure okay so why so what is it to you what is coaching to you well I you know I think of it as um, somebody uh, who inspires and supports uh, helps people um, get clear about where they want to go I, I think about it as uncovering potential ideas that people already have um, and just helping them kind of uncover those and create a path out of that and an energy around it. Um, when you tell someone who's known you your whole life what you do or what you're about to be doing, what do you tell yeah. them? Yeah. Um, I, I tell them that I'm I'm going to try and help others uh, uncover the things that inspire them and help them set their path to get where they want to go. There you go. That resonated. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very comfortable, and it just comes out. Yeah, that just came out. That Did you all hear that? That just sounded so natural. It just rolled right out of your mouth. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was very. It was language that a six-year-old could understand. Yeah. I, I like that, too. You know, the, the simpler, the better, I think. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's very helpful. And it inspires conversation, because then someone that you're meeting for the first time, if you say that to them, they'll say, oh, well, how do you do that? How yeah. do you inspire someone to get on their path? What what does that mean? How, you know, and then you're off and running. Then you're in a conversation. Then, yeah. Then you're playing. Yeah. Yeah, it's very helpful. Um, and it kind of gets to the nuts and bolts of, you know, when you have a conversation with anybody about what you do and who you are, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of get caught up in saying, well, I'm a lawyer or, you know, I'm a physician. Or you can say, well, you know, I kind of do this with my life. And... People are much more interested in this than just a just a title, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. helpful. I've been coaching um, an executive in a in a large professional services firm who is working on presentation skills. And one of the things I, I asked him, I said, when you go to cocktail parties, when you're networking, how do you introduce yourself? And he rattled off some jargony title which I couldn't even comprehend. It had something to do with transactional, mergers and acquisitions, yada, I don't know, financial, I didn't get it, right? Um, and so in, in this, doing this same exercise with him, working with him around the concept of the modular introduction of the 30-second commercial, I really had to pull teeth with him because I was like, okay, look, I, I'm going to be an idiot here. I don't know what you mean by transactional, mergers and acquisitions, financial analyst, I, I didn't get it. And in the, it took us 45 minutes to get to it. But what he does is, just like you would take, if you're going to buy a new car and you would take your new car to a mechanic to have him check under the hood before you buy it to see if it's okay, when a big company is going to do some kind of a big investment in another big company, they take it to him to check under the financial hood to make sure the deal's okay. Yeah. 
And we finally got it down to that. So now I'm like, okay, now I can introduce you, so we're good to go, right? Yeah, great. And he was so thrilled. Here's the funny piece about that. He was so thrilled walking out of the room with that introduction, not to use at his next networking event, but he said, he said, for 20 years my wife has been asking me what I do, and I finally know what to tell her. (laughs) He said, I I can tell my kids now. You know, he's got a 15-year-old that has no idea what he does. That's great. And coaching, I find, is a lot like that. I find, you know, typically our parents, you know, if our parents are still living, our parents don't know, don't understand what we do because it didn't exist when they were professional, you know, growing up and becoming professional. So, you know, that's another that's another extreme from the six-year-old. If you can explain it to someone, you know, in their 70s or, yeah. Yeah. and have them understand what you do as a profession, it's, it, it, you know, it's a very powerful lesson in simplicity. Yeah. Other questions for Susie? You know, I think I think if I were to summarize a bottom line of the book and of my passion around all of this, it's that I truly believe that as coaches, if we're drawn to coaching, we can sell this stuff. And it's it's just about a series of subtle mindset shifts to get us out of thinking of sales as like a used car salesman or a door-to-door salesman or a telemarketer. And if we can shift away from that and shift to sales being a conversation that uses all of our, our skills and tools as coaches, then, then we're not going to continue to be a profession where only 7% of the profession are making a living at it. Well, that's an interesting number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder, uh, Susie, uh, given that there are several people on this call, I believe, who are in our current program, if you have any tips for people about buddying up with one another and, and uh, supporting each other on this venture. Absolutely. I think it's great to have mastermind groups for any any number of reasons, but particularly around business development because you can you can support each other in, in uh, accessing the authenticity of how you express yourself about what you do. And you can help it, when you're when you have other people to brainstorm with. It's much richer than sitting alone behind your computer trying to figure out how to talk about what you do and figure out who to call. It's very powerful to collaborate with others on this. I don't know. Maybe that's just my bias. I always think collaborating is much more fun because we're very isolated as coaches, as as solopreneurs. Yeah, one of the, that's one of the comments that we often hear from people a few months out after the program, where our, our program is a face-to-face, so people have a lot of contact with one another, and that when they leave, that it's a little lonely out there uh, mm-hmm. trying to build the practice. So finding ways to really support one another seems like such a smart thing, and, and even uh, ways to work together and, and create consortiums and, and small groups that can uh, find some synergy in their expertise areas. Oh, sure, and to t- to market together. You mean, yeah, yeah. There's a that's a big movement that I'm seeing in executive coaching in general. Yeah, the yeah. the leaning towards collaborative coalitions of coaches trying to market services together. Yeah. Uh, other trends that you're seeing out there, Susie, as it relates to developing business. Hmm. Well. I'm disturbed by the numbers that I'm hearing about our profession in general, about, like I just mentioned, the 7% who 
sites. I personally know a whole bunch of executive coaches who are doing seven figures at it. So when I hear that, that you know, that's a very, very, very small percentage that are actually making a living, I'm thinking there's a really big gap there. And that's a trend I don't like. Um, well, and I, I think that, you know, at the, at the Hudson Institute, we do an annual survey to take a look at how our coaches are doing and, oh. and how their practice building is going. And, and, and so our numbers are certainly a, a whole lot stronger than 7%. And, and the thing that is encouraging to us is that it seems that over the years uh, that, that practice building uh, builds momentum and uh, gets easier and the income is on a steady uh, uh, increase. Uh, but, but I think that through ICF, when you put together people who are going into all different kinds of programs, uh, who are brand new to any field, who are beginners uh, in the best sense of the word uh, and, and looking for a new career as opposed to people who are pretty seasoned in, in their uh, area of leadership that uh, those statistics aren't quite as useful as they might be if we broke them down. Well, I'll tell you, Pam, knowing what, I, what you just said about how Hudson Institute's numbers are far better than what we're hearing in the profession as a whole, that could be great marketing strategy for for attracting more students. Yeah, yeah. To publicize some of those comparative yeah. numbers. Yeah. I, I just had an email this morning from some of you know Sharn, uh, who's over in London, and, and we had emailed back and forth, and, and uh, she was once inside an organization and left that organization and uh, has been entrepreneuring herself. And I said, so how's business going, Sharn? And she said, you know, I have four clients that that lead me to, you know, a series of leaders uh, on on these various leadership teams, and, and uh, business is very strong. And it kind of echoes what we hear about business uh, in Europe as well. That it seems that that uh, coaching has really taken off in in that venue. Mm -hmm. Very much so. One of the other disturbing trends I'm seeing in America, which hasn't quite hit Europe yet, is the trend of what for lack of a better term, the commoditization of coaching, mm -hmm. where organizations are now basically putting a lot of limits on coaching. They're, they're trying to run it through HR and keep a lot of tabs on it and require a lot of extra reporting and non-billable time of the coach, and also putting really stringent criteria in and paying a much, much lower hourly rate um, and sort of forcing down pricing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the comments I would make about that is I think that really speaks to how important it is as coaches to have our eye on the ball around measuring the effectiveness of what we do. Yes, absolutely. The ROI of coaching is a yeah. very important piece. Yeah. But also it particularly points to being able to be comfortable with our own hourly rate and being comfortable with making the request for the fees that we deserve that we are that we value our services to be worth because if we're not standing up to that then the commoditization is going to really take take hold and be a really broad much broader sweep than businesses you know if we're not standing up for that coaching is worth you know upwards of four hundred dollars an hour then it's going to be valued in the market at below eighty dollars an hour and i think we get to have a say in that Comments from anybody out there? Who's out there practicing? 
think one of the things that I heard that, um, Susie, that you commented on that is so important is each individual coach being comfortable with their own fees. Right. Um, so that, and that, you know, how comfortable you are with the, your own fees really affects how you will then present yourself and your fees to your clients. And um, I think that's key because we hear so many different, um, you know, numbers thrown around for how, uh, what people do charge and what is an appropriate fee. And boy, it depends on, on you and it depends on your market. And the key, I think, is feeling really good about what you charge. It's like a, a fair fee, I think, is what you feel really good charging and that your client will pay with gratitude. And yeah. when you have that going on, you just magic occurs. But there's also a lot that we have to put into considering in coming up with our fees. You know, I, totally. there's, a, there's a bit of... Did I lose everybody? A couple no, of minutes no. left. No. Okay. There's a bit in the book about pricing and how to come up with the price, and, and there's a lot that goes into figuring out how to price one's services. It's not just, you know, I've only been coaching for six months, and maybe I shouldn't charge much. It's, yeah, but you got 20 years of executive experience behind you, and that's valuable. That You're bringing that. That's informing your coaching, um, your education, your coach training, your, you know, so there's that's, some value. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah there's, I think there's, that's important. Are, are you still there, Susie? I am. Yeah. So we are about to uh, get our final uh, uh, bell that says we have to end the call. So before we do that, I just want to take a moment to say thank you so much for the, the conversation. It was a great conversation, a lot of value for people. This call is also uh, taped and accessible to our coaches the next couple of months, and I'm sure lots of people will be listening to it. So uh, check out her book, Seal the Deal. It's on Amazon, is it, Susie? It is, um, and, and but it's the best way to get it right now is to go to sealthedealbook.com because there's a direct link to, to, to buy it from the publisher because I think Amazon is running out. Okay, so what we'll do is tomorrow we will make sure to send out to everybody that link. I think they may already have it, but just in case they don't, um, so that they can uh, get on that site. And thank you so much, Susie, for your time and your oh, good thoughts. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for all having you me. HI coaches for joining the call tonight. Thanks, Susie. Thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thanks, and Susie. Pam, I was wondering, is it possible for me to also get a copy of the recording? Oh, absolutely. We'll email it to you. Yeah. That would be great. Yep. This yep. has really been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great. And Marilyn, again, thank you for connecting. Oh, you're in. welcome. Dottie would be proud of this call. That's oh, right. Good. <laughs> That's right. Well done. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.